Uh, welcome, everybody. This is Craig with The Unbeaten Path. And today I've got a guest on here from Biting the Bullet, which is the real typo. Here we go. We're going to talk. start off with uh, Murray Rothbard with Anatomy of the State, and then we're probably going to jump into a, probably about 10 different rabbit holes. So would you like to say anything, kind of plug your cast a little bit if you want? Sure. I'm co-host of the Biting the Bullet podcast. It's a, well, I guess, um, man, it's more for libertarian, veterans, uh, comedy, political podcasts. It's just we focus on different things that the government does, and we try to make uh, try to make humor out of it. Um, it's very, I guess, anti-government in a sense, but uh, we try to give the feeling of if you are a veteran, then what it's uh, if you're back in the smoke pit, hanging out with your friends, just having a conversation. Uh, that's the kind of feel that we try to give for the podcast. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day and joining us here. But uh, okay, let me let me let me just jump right into this and uh, get your opinion on the anatomy of the state by Murray Rothbard. It's a great book to just read or listen to. I think it takes about an hour to listen to. You can download the PDF of the book. It's like 60 pages and you can read that. And But I think it's a great book because even maybe if you don't necessarily agree with uh, libertarians or Rothbard himself, I think it's a very thought provoking book. And cool. I think that, uh, I think it just, it makes you think of things a little bit differently, challenges your thoughts. And if you at the end of it, like me, if you kind of agree with almost everything he's saying in the book, it really opens your eyes and you start looking at the government or the state in a much different light than maybe you were raised to or uh, what you have done in your life, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it is definitely an eye opener on this. And I, I was blown away. And you say it's a it's an easy read, but I, I kind of disagree with you on that because this guy's yeah. vocabulary is incredibly high. Uh, yeah, I guess what I just meant by easy was it takes you a short amount of time to get through it. Maybe you won't understand everything, but it'll, right. it'll take you a short amount of time to get through or listen to. Now, I was, I was doing some research on, on uh, Mr. Rothbard, and he was actually – born in like 1929 so he would have grown up he was born in bronx new york he was born in 1929 so he would have seen the world war ii um at uh what 15 15 to 17 18 years old i mean uh, uh, so, yeah i mean i'm just wondering if this probably was uh he was an economist i'm, I'm just wondering if the the world war ii with the nazi regime and everything and then post uh world war ii if this actually influenced his writings as far as what the government was doing and now he never did come out and say anything about the united states he uh as far as the United States government. And honestly, I mean, uh, you know, he, he did talk about Nazi Germany a little bit and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the, if you look at it in a certain respect that the, the, the Jews actually committed suicide by voting in this party. Yeah. I mean, I think he basically proves in the first uh, part where he says what the state is not. And he goes over that, you know, if we're a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and that means anytime the government kills anyone, they're they're committing suicide because this is a government of the people. So the government's killing people. It means that they're 
it's it's you, yourself that's killing you because you're the government right um, right and and he goes in and yeah he uses nazi germany as an example um saying that when the nazis started killing jews jews were killing themselves because that technically hitler uh rose to power through democracy correct the stuff that uh, that i really enjoyed i mean it was uh talking about specifically how the government has a monopoly on force or um you know and can never be really held accountable for anything that they do and yeah I mean, it was it was really impressive with with that. And what what I found also was that I mean, it, okay, you start off with your federal government, your military stuff like that. So as a military goes, I mean, you you basically go into foreign countries and you impose your government or your will by use of deadly force, by use of a gun in that foreign country. Now that's technically really a kind of a shitty way to look at things. I mean, as far as you know, are a shitty way to do things, in my opinion. Not taking anything away from the military, but if you look at our past wars, what have we actually really done? I mean, why were we there? I served in, in yeah. Desert Storm, so, I mean, you know, the big chant was no blood for oil. Why were we really there in, in, Des yeah. in Desert Storm? So, now we have the Iraq War, we have the Afghanistan War, which is still, I, I guess, technically continuing. Yeah, and, I mean, but why are we there? For what purpose are we there? Can, yeah, you, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where he goes into that, but he might talk about maybe it's in the part three, I believe, when he's talking about how the state preserves itself. But basically, in, in the essence of what he does is he's going over that um, the government, the people in the government basically trick or um, convince that the people that they rule over that when another government attacks us, they're attacking all of us and they're not just attacking our government. So when it, because we associate our land to our country and our country is ours as a, as a collective, we are all one. When you do that, any outside force that attacks us, we have it, we consider it attack on all of us. We are all being attacked. So we all must respond and do something. But instead, how you should look at it is that the rulers at the top do something or do something wrong or they do nothing wrong, maybe. And another government entity decides to attack them. It's not necessarily that they're attacking us. It's just that we are that we are seen as a product of our state. But no one, if you break it down in reality, no one will say that they, I mean, I ask people all the time, like, do you trust our government? And most of the time people say no. It doesn't matter if Obama was president, Trump was president. In general, people just say they do not trust their government. I think that's how you should look at it because if you think about it, the government is, if they're supposed to represent you and then they do something terrible, that's the case. You should be held responsible for all the terrible things that your government's doing. But if you don't think you should be held responsible because you have no control over what they do, then anytime that another government is attacking us, it's more than like they're attacking the our government. They have no problem with the regular people here i mean most people like if I, if i go to you know if china's doing something and 
it's the Chinese government, and we go there and, you know, slaughter a neighborhood in China. That doesn't make any sense because it's those people in China didn't do anything to me. It was the Chinese government that did something to me. I think he does a really good job of trying to explain that the government propagandize or just tricks people into thinking that we are all one together. We are a collective. So anything, yeah. any, anytime any of us are attacked or anything like that, they're attacking us, all of us at once. He basically explains that that's not how it should be. And that makes no sense to think like that. Right, right. I mean, uh, you know, how can you be held accountable for what the government does? Because uh, according to, if you look at that logic, we are the government. Well, then, yeah, you can be held responsible. So technically, you could be held responsible for, say, the uh, atomic bomb being detonated mm -hmm. over J uh, Japan. You yeah. know? So, I mean, you could be held accountable for it. You had nothing to do with it. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it, but yet because we are the government, we can we should be held accountable. Yeah, but that's not how it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways that the state. Um, I don't know if it's intentional or if if it is intentional, but there's a lot of ways that the state legitimizes itself. There's another part in the book where he talks about the. For some reason, there's a huge connection between the state and intellectuals into our society. Yeah, and they. Um, and, and the state, basically, they need the intellectuals because if they don't have these intellectuals legitimizing themselves, then it's hard to con uh, control the masses or convince the masses. Now, even no matter what government you are, you have to have majority of your people's support, even in a dictatorship or even in especially a democracy, which is easier to understand that way. But you need to have your majority of your people's support or you're, you're not going to exist. So your power they, would be fleeting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they so they have to have... Uh, a connection between their intellectuals and the society to convince the people that this either this government is better than the other options or this is the you know the best option we have right now for our society yeah correct i mean yeah even even in you know go back thousands of years the governments at that time or the states at that time would actually control their people through use of religion yeah it's yeah, very common i mean there, nowadays you can look at it i, I kind of think that the like the climate change crisis gets blown way out of proportion and there's a lot of people a lot of scientists that want the state to step in to do something so now it, without people even mentioning it it legitimizes that we need the state to protect us from climate change and i i mean i don't really know i'm not an expert on climate change so that's not like my full-fledged theory on that but i think that there is some truth in that because i think there is some things that the scientists want the state to enforce and maybe they do believe that maybe they actually do believe that but the state wouldn't be associating with those people if they didn't believe that and i think that i think murray rothbard even explains why do some intellectuals do that because they you know it's clear that the state needs the and intellectuals in our society but it's not so clear why the intellectuals need the state and he basically says that some intellectuals without the state they would probably not survive in a free market i i think that's kind of true because there's a, is a lot of i guess taxpayer money that goes to different science research and different things like that and i think that i think some of those things probably wouldn't exist if 
the state didn't exist. So you have intellectuals that are, you know, they get treated like they're normal researchers. They're the top scientists in the world. And they live the, the you know, the basically live like kings and queens with our kings and queens because the state legitimizes them. Right, right. But I mean, do you think, do you think that if it was a and I'm going to pick on libertarian societies, a libertarian society that if climate change is actually in effect and happening, do you think in Mm -hmm. a libertarian society that we would be able to take care of this? Because in my opinion, a libertarian society is actually everybody does what they want. I mean, as long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else. I mean, in a really basic nutshell, would everybody get together and say, hey, look, we've really got to focus on pollution control. We need to get rid of the fossil fuels. We, you know, we need to clean up our oceans. I mean, do you think as a society that the Libertarian Society could actually accomplish that? So my answer to that is yes and no. I think one, you would without like, you know, compulsory and forcing everyone to be a contributor to that. Sure, there's probably going to be plenty of people that like, you know, I don't believe in that hokey pokey magic climate change stuff, like whatever. Right. But there's already examples of this happening in our society now. I mean, the number one of the number one uh, charities that people donate to is for climate change. Uh, also, the one of the major, con- the number one contributor to quote unquote climate change in this country is our U.S. military. They're the number one contributors to it. And... The fact that nuclear energy has probably been the one of the top proven things to help. It's cleaner energy. It's safer. It's it, it, it produces less pollution to the air. But our government has basically a monopoly on that. And it's harder to make nuclear energy or nuclear power plants. They even restrict other countries from doing that at the under the auspices of them not being able to create nuclear weapons. So it, nuclear energy as as scary as it does sound to people because it can be used for the worst worst decisions and crimes and mass murder we've seen in our entire history, I would say. But it also can be used for cleaner energy and the state has a monopoly on it and they actually prevent people from using it. I mean, it's very well, obvious. I you think, got to long- think too that if you go nuclear, nuclear power, and I'm talking about energy, you know, your, your OPEC nations and stuff like that are definitely going to fight this. I mean, it's a fossil I mean, fuels versus, yeah. uh, versus, you know, your coal mining industry, your, your, you know, oil industry, they're going to fight it because yeah, they're not going to make any money. Yeah, exactly. And then if you, I mean, I think anyone would agree. I think at least most people would agree at some level, the oil companies are in bed with our government. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I think it's probably a lot worse than a lot of people do think. And I'm sure there's some people that they don't think it's that much, but they probably think it's at some level. But I mean, it's just clear, like these people are in bed together. And if there is a cleaner, more efficient way to produce uh, energy and power that will also be less pollution, but the people that are in bed with our government um, will lose a crap ton of money from that. Uh, it's pretty obvious on what side the government will choose to be on the people that are funding their campaigns and getting them reelected every year or this new cleaner energy that will take away money from their uh, contributors. Now I did, uh, you just mentioned candidates and reelections and elections and stuff like that, which I I hate jumping off, off 
off on this tangent, but uh, I did recently just see a post and man, for the life of me, I don't remember where it was at or who said it, but uh, they were talking about libertarians should not focus on a presidential election. They should focus more on a representative or Senate elections and local elections and start from there, which, Um, which, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I kind of agree with that in a sense, because I think one, I think local elections are a lot more important just in general on to people because the local elections actually have more of an effect on your way of life more than the president, the Senate, and the House does. Now, they still have effect on your life, don't get me wrong, but the local elections is directly, it directly affects you. I think that there is a lot of truth to that. And I would say that most of our, at least how it's supposed to be, most of our country's power resides in the Senate. So if you really right, want right. if you really want change to come, then it might be better to focus on the Senate and the House because the president, well, they're not supposed to be able to do a lot with their with their position unless they have approval from the House and or Senate. Right. So I kind of agree with that sentiment um, in a sense. But as the years go on, the president keeps taking more and more power and more responsibilities that they were never intended to have. So it becomes kind of hard for me to justify um, which one would be better or worse. But overall, I still think local elections are more important. I think that in your in your city alone, if you can control the how people's way of lives are in your own city, I think it can have massive effect on and then change throughout uh, your state and then so on and so forth. Rothbard actually touches on that where he was talking about, uh, I want to say Calhoun. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, where, yeah, yeah. He actually talks about where the, the, the lower level uh, government or lower level state can mm-hmm. actually veto that type of uh, that type of power. So like the federal government says, hey, you've got to do this. Well, the state basically says, you know what? We don't really believe that. We're going to operate the way we want. In a- yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was supposed to be the intentions from the founding of our government especially when they did create a federal government, the checks and balances part was also the checks and balances between the states and the federal law. Now, federal law was supposed to be there to maybe uh, enforce whatever they thought was okay, but states did have the right to refuse to enforce those laws. And that's still true to this day. I mean, with the legalization of drugs, um, marijuana, and I mean, I think Colorado has legalized uh, mushrooms and other psychotics. Yeah. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, I think Colorado has gone the farthest to legalize most drugs. Besides San Francisco, I think maybe they didn't legalize it, but they decriminalized all drugs. I heard something about that, yeah. Yes, but whatever, what I'm saying is that the federal law is like you can't even smoke marijuana and you already see multiple states throughout our uh, union, like California, Illinois, all legalizing it. Um, Even the medical use is supposed to be uh, illegal, but um, multiple states have done that. So you even, yeah, so you still see examples of that today. I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of federal laws that, I mean, people probably just don't even know about and states just don't enforce them. But you'll probably see the reverse too, where like federally there might be something legal and then the state will make it illegal. And it just depends on, and that's why your state actually has more power over the people than the federal government does. I mean, should it be, should it be the state has more power or should it really be more of a, uh, a county or even city? 
should have more power over yeah. people. And I mean, because I'm, I'm from Illinois and I'm telling you, government here is crap. And, and I mean, I'm not I'm not a Democrat by any means, but this I, this guy is completely manipulating the COVID situation to the benefit of his family's businesses. I mean, that it, he should be arrested. In my opinion, he should, you know, because this is not a victimless crime. This is a victim. I mean, there are all kinds of victims in the state of Illinois. Yeah, it's very common to see states with uh, a high population city that basically dictate the rest of the rules for the elections for the rest of the state. It's just like how Southern Illinois is probably completely different than the way of Chicago is the same thing for uh, New York City and upper parts of the New York State. Upstate New York, Um, yeah. I mean, those people probably have nothing in common. And I guarantee that upstate New York has a lot, will get along with Southern Illinois people a lot easier than they get along with people from the city. It's just because people live in their, uh, you know, their country life and they want to be left alone. I think most of them just want to be left alone. And the state introduces all these new laws and stuff that come from liberal ran cities they basically control the whole state yeah and i think it happens throughout all states right it's like chicago has more population within the chicago and uh, the greater chicago area yeah they have more people in there than the entire rest of the state so when it comes to elections and when it comes to laws and and stuff like that that are you know that are being voted on it's whatever chicago wants and now there, yeah. there is a uh, movement, uh, Illinois separation movement, that actually will split. Yeah. yeah the, the only problem is, is you can't do it financially. You know, the, yeah. the southern half of Illinois will will die because of money. Why, why would they? Why would they die? Well, money wise, financially, they would die. They don't have the tourism. They don't have. Uh, you know, I mean, it would have to. You would have to create an entire infrastructure just based on money. I think no. that's a I think that's a false idea. I think that they actually trick you into believing that you need them because if you separate from them that's a bunch of tax cattle that basically go away from them. Hmm. Without with, without these major cities after they have all of these or the state after they have all these crazy different tax um, uh, tax raises and taxes on different things, they need more people to, to contribute to the taxes or eventually it will fail. Wow. And that's why I think that like Southern Illinois splitting away from Chicago would actually benefit Southern Illinois a lot more than if, and then I think it will harm Chicago a lot more because all these tax incentives that they created based on tax revenue will start to disappear. And they actually rely on those. And those things actually is what a lot of people need to get reelected. That's Hmm. it's, and I think that Southern Illinois would be a lot better off. I don't, I don't. Oh, I do too. I mean, I don't think you need any sort of people think that you need tax revenue, but, um, the, the market provides a lot more than people expect. Hmm, that's, that's really interesting. I, I did not think of it that way. Yeah, I'd really like to maybe in the future get a hold of a Illinois separatist. Yeah, I mean, there's those, those separatist type people all over. I know California has three or four different oh, wow. separatist movements than different ways they want to. Basically, it's the eastern side of California wants to separate from the western liberal coast of California. Well, yeah. The same the same is true in Se- uh not Seattle, um or Washington, that the oh, state okay. of Washington, that's what I'm trying to say. There's there's a bunch of usually you'll see a lot more separatist movements when it's 
liberal controlled cities against their country or urban land people that want to separate from these cities because I mean, they basically have no say in their own politics. Right. And they live under a dictatorship via through de- democracy. <laughs> a democratic dictator. <laughs> yeah. And they, right. You have no say in who your leader is. And every year it's the same party that gets elected. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind it's just because you're landlocked with these people. And even though you have no nothing in common with them and the landlocking on the borders are arbitrary. They were made yeah. a long time ago and in, it was separated at a time for certain reasons, but now they just don't hold up anymore. That is, oh, that is, yeah. I never really even thought of that. Like it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, but I mean, let's, let's take a, let's take a Rothbard down to a, even a, a more local, I say, okay, because the federal government has the monopoly or the, the state has the monopoly on, on force, you know, now you, you, we talked a little bit about the military, you know, and their use of force and they're exempt to the most part, except, uh, you know, for murder. What about your, uh, your police force? Well, I think the same thing is true for the police force. I think the military can get away with a, with a lot more just because it's happening abroad in a lot of co- in countries that you don't necessarily care about. And two, it's, when it does happen, there's not that much news coverage as people see, even though I think the military is much more violent and gruesome than our police force here is in America. It, it still reigns true, though, that our police force does get away with things that normal, regular people would not get away with. And I mean, it just makes sense that in that way, in that regards, because the police is an agent of the state and the state, you know, per- does everything they can to protect their own. Now, that there is some um, some cases that they do, uh, I guess, sacrifice some to the mob. I think a lot of things that police do, they're enforcing rights that are clear violate, or they are enforcing laws that are a clear violation of our constitutional rights. Absolutely. And I think that really showed when the lockdowns happened. Now, there were cases of sheriffs, a couple sheriffs across the country that were that stood up and were like, I'm not enforcing these. Basically, they said bullshit lockdown rules and these mask mandates. But that was only about 10 max. There's only right. 10 of them that said that. And the rest of the police forces and the sheriffs just looked at that law and they're like, okay, if you say so. I think people need to be very cautious and not to blindly support police because I have no problem people supporting the military or the police or anything like that. But right. once you start to blindly support these people, then that means everything they do is not is, is justified. And when that when you set that tone, state has a monopoly on force, can start to do things that are completely evil and start to get away with things that are that most any normal person that if you take off that uniform, any normal person would be thrown into a cage for it. Right. So like putting people on trains. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'll you'll start. I mean, people you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. And as much as, as much as like the, maybe a lot of police and maybe these incidents that police are involved in that, it, you know, those 50, 50 iffy ones, it's like, oh man, I don't really know. It's kind of hard situation. I don't know what I would do in the, this situation. I mean, I think you still need to take cautions and, and use and enforce our laws today and go through our court systems. Like you're like anyone else would go through because you start, 
you know, allowing these little bits and pieces of tyranny falling through the, you know, start leaking into your house, then eventually, if you don't do anything about it, your 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 whole roof's going to come down of tyranny. And and that's not going to look good. And I hate, you know, I don't make the comparison of Nazi Germany because I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. No. But it, but it all starts somewhere. And you have to, it does, it's not just an easy route. Like it's not overnight or they're, they're coming for the Jews. Like it, it took years and laws and the correct people to get elected. Like I don't think Donald Trump's this dictator, but you, you don't know. You have no idea 10 years from now who's going to be president. Correct. Yeah. So if you allow a president or the police to get away with something now and 10 years later, there's the, the you know, a, an actual Nazi, let's say an actual Nazi takes over the government or the police force. And you just let the good guys that made a mistake get away with things. But now they see that as an opportunity to seize power and do whatever they want. Well, we did it 10 years ago. Might as well. Uh, yeah. Let me let me take it a step further. Yeah. Which is my my whole whole statement on on COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's it's kind of like, OK, let's see how far we can push push the boundaries and stop all o- stomp all over the the first amendment rights mm-hmm. and okay so right now well, we're not really okay that's fine we'll back off a little bit 10 years from now you know when when a pandemic or something to that effect they can even go further yeah i mean it's very common throughout our history for when people are afraid or there is a time of crisis that government seizes power Yep. And their their excuse is, oh, well, it's just in this time of crisis that we need to take control over this right now. This is for your own benefit. This is for your security. Yeah, so that, your safety that, is that, our number that one fails, part. That fails for two reasons. Um, because if you give up your security or your freedom at one point in time, then you're sec- uh, for security, then you're probably going to lose both. And two, it fails because once you give that window of an opportunity for the state to take power in, in a certain crisis, then 20, 10 years, 10, 20, 30 years from now, who's to say they, especially right now with the COVID, I think that oh, uh, it's probably split. Maybe I have no idea, but there's a lot of people that don't like the government's reaction to this right now. And they think right. they're overstepping their bounds. Absolutely. So now let's just say that, you know, the next crisis that comes and it's nowhere near this, how this as bad as the pandemic, but the government overplays it as it is. And now they take more control and, and then their excuse would be that, oh, we, the government shouldn't be doing this. And they're going to look back at this time 10 years ago and be like, well, we had to do it for the pandemic then. We're just doing it now because we're trying to save you from this mass bee swarm coming over our country or whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I mean, and then that's one of the, the conspiracy theories is that right now, human population is actually getting to what is called like max population to where yeah, the earth can no before. yeah where the earth can no longer support the amount of people that that are here right now they're trying to get the scare into everybody and 10 years from now when we do hit max population they can actually release possible and this is this is kind of really getting into the uh, fourth dimension if you will um, <laughs> but yeah it's i mean it you know they can release more of a potent virus at this time to yeah. kill more people you know, to yeah. where it, it would be the Spanish flu, you know, of, of the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, to, to eliminate, if the more population you eliminate, so now we're no longer at max population and we've got enough food for everybody. We've got enough resources. So that's basically, I mean, in my opinion, I kind of agree with that. 
my thing is, is so what a lot of people like to do, especially when they're criticizing the state, is they'll either make them the evil geniuses that people <laughs> lay them out to be, right. or they're the stupid, or they're the stupidest people ever, and we have no <laughs> idea how they got elected. Right. So I'm just so if you ever got if I mean I I fall victim to that too. I do it all the time, and this is probably a normal thing that most people do. But I try to lean on the fact that they're ignorant. I think that they're just stupid. I don't think that they're it's this evil, long drawn plan. I think that they they overplayed their hand because I think some of them, I think some of them were scared. And I think the reaction to their populace is what freaked them out. Cause there was a, there's a Senator or not a Senator, a house representative, Thomas Massey, who was on a podcast recently and he voted for this, this the, the stimulus bill, I think. Oh, yeah. And he's more, he's more of a libertarian friendly uh, candidate or uh, politician. And he's usually against all this government stuff, but he polled that he polled his own constituents and asked them what they wanted. And he said, and he put it in two different ways. And overwhelmingly his constituents, like we need this government money or we can't survive. Even though he was against government, government spending and he was against he's he's usually against government taking power in any way they can he was backed in a in a corner because that's what his constituents wanted so i don't think that it's this if the if any sort of evil pow, evil thing comes from anyone it comes from the corporate press i think the corporate press has an agenda and if there's any sort of manipulation or uh propaganda that's being sent out for the states to take power, it's coming from the corporate press more than anything. I think they have an agenda. I don't know exactly what it is, but they seem to favor wars and uh, missile launchings. And anytime a government uh, overseas collapse, they seem to be in favor of those things. Um, they seem to be siding with the Democratic Party, which in my opinion is the current war party. So I, I, I don't think the politicians are necessarily stupid. I think there's some of them that are in on the game and I would call them the establishment. I think there's some of them that are in there. I think like uh, the, the Hillary Clintons, the Barack Obamas, the Joe Bidens, the Nancy Pelosi's, oh, 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 Chuck oh, oh. Schumer's. Yeah. I mean, really Joe Biden? Does he even know that he's running for president? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that the first presidential debate is tomorrow. And tomorrow, I, you are correct. Yes. I, I am a little excited to watch that one. <laughs> Heck yeah. Hey, now is he, uh, are they debating on Joe Rogan or is it uh, going to be a televised deal? No, Joe Rogan never responded to the, to uh, debate on Joe Rogan. So they're, they're not doing that. They're doing the old format where they debate uh, on, I think the first one's actually on Fox news. So it probably won't be as easy for Joe Biden as his CNN um, debates or question errors have been. So he might get a little pushback, but I still think the Fox News is basically the corporate press, just a little bit more right-leaning. Right. Um, and then the next one, I think, is on CNN. So I, yeah. I don't really – their topics that they're going over, though, are like the COVID response, I think healthcare, and a couple other things that – Oh, the, the violence in the streets. So they're going to both have to address the, basically the mobs burning down cities. Was it, uh, didn't, didn't, wasn't there a politician that even said to burn it down here recently? It wasn't a politician. 
It oh, okay. was a liberal, I believe, writer for uh, right. an, yeah, some sort of author or writer for some news outlet. And yeah, he basically after Ruth Gator Ginsburg died, That's it. Um, Trump got another uh, Supreme Justice pick and basically the guy said that if they try to rush a pick through before the election that they're going to burn the fucker down is right. his exact words right right that's what it was it wasn't a poly- it was yeah what was he he was um some <clears throat> some writer or editor for like the new york times or something like yeah, that yeah probably washington post yeah <laughs> i can't stand that paper i don't know man this i mean it's everything's going crazy you know, you got your COVID, your numbers aren't a- a jiving on either side. I mean, the, the numbers are, are like minuscule on one side, but then on the other side, you know, they're, they're projecting like 50 million deaths, you know, which we're not even yeah. close to. It really surprised me was the, because the numbers of the, the, sure, let's just say that COVID was as scary as they said it was at first. Well, it, it's played, I mean, the, the, the goalposts keep changing for what the goal is. I mean, it used to be that we had to flatten the curve and we flattened the curve. I mean, months ago, we flattened the, this, this curve that they kept talking about. Now they're, they just keep changing the goalposts. I mean, uh, different states said that, oh, when we get down to 100 cases or less in a day, but it's like the the like in Florida, for example, the cases that are if they keep people keep citing this from an article saying that there's a hundred cases a day still being coming out of Florida. Well, what that's it's not even a um, hundred cases in a day. It's a hundred cases being reported, but some of those reports date back two months or a month prior to the the day itself. Wow! It it people the the arbitrary goal that the our, our state representatives keep pushing is, is almost unreachable. And to think that we could even reach these goals. And, and once you open back up, you're going to get more cases. I mean, right. once you have the flow of more people in contact, you're, it, the cases are just going to go up. You, you, you can't stop that. So they, they'll, they'll try to push these lockdowns for as long as they can. I mean, a lot of people are betting on the election and I'm, you know, starting to think that way too. I think I, mean, okay, okay. I was now, surprised that how willing and com- uh, com- how everyone complied with these laws so quickly and how we still are doing it today. I'm, I'm well, very surprised. Right. People are yeah. scared. I get that. And I mean, fear is a highly motivating factor. Period. I mean, when you're, just think about this uh, uh, on a personal level. If you're in a crowd uh, in a room somewhere of 10 people and 10 people all have this one thing and you don't have it, you're going to feel out of place. You're going to feel weird. And you're going, and, and, and then if those people start looking at you like you're crazy, like, what are you doing? Like, that's very powerful. That's oh, a yeah. lot more powerful than people think it is. I mean, yep. there's some people that can be like, oh, I don't care. I'll do what I want. And, they, you know, and I think that that's true to an extent, but you're surrounded by people every day that let's just say wears a mask and they're all supporting these masks and they shame other people when they don't wear them. And public shaming is a really valid, val- powerful tool. If you're walking around and you're the outsider, the different one. People tend to, to not like you or look at you different. and But sometimes, you know, you don't wear a mask. And sometimes you get some people that come up to you and you're like, hell yeah, man. You know, like, <laughs> but they'll be, they'll have a mask on. And right. you'll be like, oh, wow. Like, you know, that this guy wants to do exactly what I'm doing and not wear the mask. But he's afraid to. And I think uh, most people are just afraid. Like, most people don't want to deal with this crap. They just want to, they just want to go to the grocery store. 
get their food for their kids and go home. They don't want to get recorded and thrown on social media. They don't want to get yelled at by some stranger. They just want to get their stuff and go home. Did you see that video where the, uh, the, the lady was sitting in the bleachers? Yeah. And the cops, a cop came and arrested her. He wasn't a cop. He was a security Uh, officer for the school. I think it later, (laughs) I think they later confirmed that he was actually a cop. Oh, really? Okay. Now I didn't, I didn't hear that. Okay. But I mean, think about this. She is sitting by herself. Yeah. I mean, not well with her family. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So she's sitting, it's just like her and her, I'm assuming mom or whatever. And there was no one else around them. And I'm pretty sure it was a cop. And the only reason I say that is because there was a picture that someone put out and it's him, that same cop in front of the police station standing next to four people and guess what they're all not doing? Wearing mask. They're not wearing a mask. And they're all <laughs> and they're outside and all, all four of them next to each other. Like, I don't even think that's a ridiculous thing to do. I, I like I think people should if you want to wear the mask, fine. If a business requires you to wear a mask, well fine. You have to wear a mask if you want to use that business, fine. But the state mandate, the one the very scary thing is, is once you make th- something a law. You're basically saying that we have to kill people over to over this to enforce it. Right. Once you make it a law. Well, once the, once the, once he used a taser, okay, a taser just like mace are considered to be a deadly force. Sorry about that. I think my headphones just died on me. Uh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, uh, you know, the the any time that you use a taser or mace, anything like that, it's considered deadly force because people mm-hmm. can die. Okay. Yeah. So in a sense, that security officer or law enforcement officer, whatever the heck he was, he went there. Now I don't, I couldn't hear, I couldn't hear what she was saying, but I mean, regardless, did she really need to possibly die from this? You know? No, I, I mean, did she have to be kidnapped and taken down to a jail cell over Detention not wearing yeah. a mask? Like, <laughs> I mean, if you and, and the, the most messed up part about this, I think, is two things. If you look on the field where you see the cheerleaders doing their little cheer next to each other, um, none of them are wearing a mask. Not one of them is wearing a mask and the cheerleaders on the field. The mo- and what I thought is a meme that's already going around is when Dr. Fauci or whatever was at some ball game, uh, some professional baseball game back yep. a couple months ago. And he's sitting there next to his wife and someone else. And he is, I mean, he has a mask on, but it's under his chin. Right. And it just goes to show that these bureaucrats, they don't have to live, you know, the life like this. They can live comfortably and take their mask off whenever they want, whenever they please. But once someone, you know, some poor white woman from some beat beat town and like, I don't know, wherever the hell they were. Right trying to watch their little brother's football game or whatever, they're going to send a, po- a police or security force over to like basically rip her out of her seat and mace her until she complies. And like, they're setting this example that they, I mean, it happens all the time, but the bureaucrats set the law doesn't mean they have to follow it. Right. But if any of their constituents or people under them that don't follow the law, they will bring the force of that law down on them hard and fast. Right. But now, okay, why isn't the media picking up this? I mean, they want to pick up to where, you know, certain individuals are, are being shot. And when there's a huge outcry on this, mm-hmm. why is the media not picking this up? I mean, that's... Because, in my opinion, the corporate press is the enemy of the people. So they only pick up on stories 
that will either divide us. Basically, I don't think there's really much else. They, they'll pick up on basically any, any racial division that comes from a story. That's what they pick up on. But it only it also has to fit their narrative. Their right. narrative has to be. Now, if it was reversed, let's say that because it was a black cop or security guard that was arresting this was. young white lady. Now, if the roles were reversed where it was a black uh, female and an, uh, a white guy, I'm sure that would be on the news. It, I'm it, sure you, right, you would may uh, maybe not completely more of it. And it would have been pushed as a racist, racist narrative. The only thing is that it might not be on is because she wasn't wearing a mask. And that's against the narrative as well. You have to, you have to believe that cops are out there slaughtering black people. You have to believe that you have to wear a mask to save lives. You have to believe that the, the white man is the oppressor. And that's the only way it works. It can't go the other way around. And so I, I think that that's why you won't see that incident on the news um, I think it was in the local news, but I don't think it was in, in media. Well, it, it wasn't. It wasn't put into uh, any type of perspective as where law enforcement is is just doing what they want. You know, mm -hmm. it was put into this lady was wrong. She wasn't wearing her mask. If it went yeah. to any type of media, you know, yeah. I mean, so the narrative. I mean, it, yeah, did you see the uh, the the video which was from the news uh, about the people going to church being arrested? What the yeah. Idaho, Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Moscow, Idaho. Yeah. I mean, that was insane. I'm pretty sure the main guy that got arrested is actually running. Uh, he's in this election, this cycle running against the either the city council or the mayor of that city. And I mean, basically what happened is just these, it was a group of, I mean, they were predominantly white people, but that, that shouldn't really matter. No, I don't think they were standing out. They were standing outside their, it looked like their church in a parking lot, not wearing masks, not social distancing. And they were singing hymns. I thought together. they were social distancing. I thought they were there were marks on the on the pavement to oh. where they were all six feet apart. Oh, and, maybe they were. They, they looked that there there was some space. I, I'm yeah. not really sure. And it looked. I mean, it looked like it was a. Now I didn't know about this about the one guy that was running for office, but it does look a little mm -hmm. staged. You know? Oh, I'm sure this was a a form of protest. Yeah. And I think yeah, they're you know obviously. In, well, this shouldn't be a protest because they're just exercising their First Amendment right as freedom of assembly and a freedom of their religion practice and whatever they want to do. But I think it was as it may came off as like, hey, we're just, you know, practicing our religion. I think it came as a statement of like, we're going to do this regardless of what you guys do. And I'm not sure how, but the cop, there was a couple cop or officers that showed up and arrest, I think like a half a dozen of those people. I don't know mm -hmm. how they picked, I don't know how they picked who should be arrested because technically right. all of them should have been arrested. Right. They're not wearing masks. Well, they but, they're probably like, oh crap, we don't have enough jail cells for all these people. But it's, so, I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a very, I think, eye-opening and uh, like sad reality because those people in that video when they're being arrested, they kept telling them, like, we're the people that support you. We're the churchgoers that love you. We're the churchgoers that defend you all the time. We're always the ones that first to have your back when the media or anyone comes after you. We always defend you guys. You know, where they asked them, where were you when the BLM protest was happening downtown here? You didn't right. arrest those people, yeah, but the mayor, yeah, the mayor sends you to arrest us, and we're standing in a parking lot singing a church hymn. It's, I think, it's very eye-opening, and I think people need some people. Just, it's a hard reality to swallow, but police are not always going to be on your side. 
It's an unfortunate well, they, reality. They, they are an arm of the the government, okay, whether it be a local government or a federal government or whatever. But mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, you know, the mayor is the one that came out and said, basically arrest these people. Yeah. You know, because it went against his direct order. Mm-hmm. You know, and plus, I'm sure with the guy being his running mate, or uh, not running mate, excuse me, his his opponent, you know, in an up-and-coming election, I'm sure this was going to be an easy way to say, well, you can't be mayor because you got now you got a felony. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure. yeah, right. But I think I think it helped the guy running more than it hurt him. Um, but I mean, if you just look at the levels of uh how the bureaucracy happens is the mayor sends the police, the mayor gets to pick the police chief for exactly the city. So if that guy didn't do it, he lost his job. Absolutely. So, uh, so you have to understand, like even maybe this guy doesn't agree with it, but he's got a family to feed. He's got a job and a retirement he wants to pursue. So it is a tough situation for that chief of police. Don't get me wrong, but how far are they willing to go to protect their job? Right. Well, I mean, think about the think about the officer in the um, Brianna Taylor shooting. Brianna, yes, Brianna. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, the officer that that jumped in or knocked down the door and was fired upon and then fired back. Okay, mm-hmm. he was following orders. Okay. Yeah. It was a warrant by the government saying, "Hey, look, jump in." I don't know if they knocked or didn't knock. I I, I have no idea, but. Uh, you know, I mean, he had a decision to make, you know, one, it's a victimless crime. It was over drugs. And, mm-hmm. you know, now two, uh, the guy, you know, that didn't get hit, her boyfriend fired first. And, you know, now she's dead because of a stray bullet. So they blindly fired into a dark room. Okay. Yeah. Which probably wasn't the best decision to do, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I mean, now this officer could have said, "You know what, man? This is this is a victimless crime. Yeah, I don't I don't need to do this. I, you know, this is this is wrong." But I mean, again, he may have had a family. He's you know working a job. Oh, he yeah. was told to. It was it was sanctioned by whatever higher level. It was actually sanctioned by the courts to go in. It was a warrant. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the 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 warrant was incorrect as far as you know the location. I, I believe there was an issue with that. Uh, I th- I'm not too sure on that anymore. Yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've seen multiple conflicting stories. I've seen some where it says it was wrong, and I've seen uh, some where they actually wanted the warrant on that house because they were trying to go after the boyfriend. Okay, I mean, but I mean, and then it goes to your media. You know, which mm-hmm. lie do we believe? You know, yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, and I mean, I it's. Mean, it's, it's yeah, terrible. There's, yeah, there's three story, there are three sides to every story. You know, the now there's there's conflicting uh, evidence and conflicting stories with the police officer stories. There's conflicting uh, evidence and story with the Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, and I don't really know what the truth is. It's a very hard situation to break down. But let's just say, if uh, in my opinion, overall, I think drugs are a victimless crime, and we we shouldn't be, you know, going after people for uh, doing victimless crimes like that. In in that case, oh, where was I going with this? Uh-oh. Oh, in, <laughs> in that case that the, now if those officers before they, you know, uh, executed this no-knock warrant, if they chose not to do it, they would probably have been fired. We've seen examples of this uh, throughout the country. There's been a couple cops that when they were trying to enforce these lockdowns that actually said, no, I'm not doing this. And he, there was a couple that, you know, made a couple videos that went viral online. 
the police, there's, I, I can't remember this exact case, but this guy basically made a viral video and he was like, this is, this is against our, the constitution that we swore to uphold and defend. We can't be doing this. And he's just, you know, uh, he's been on the police for like three years. He's the bottom, bottom of the barrel guy. Yep. And basically the city council or the mayor office got in, got in contact with the police chief and the police chief told them like, you have to take that video down and then we're all good. And the cop refused to take the video down. So they fired him. He lost his job, and now he's basically kind of a martyr for people that uh, support him, or I guess liberty lovers, um, because he just stood up against this. But it's 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 very telling that what's going to happen if you don't just do your job, go along with the rules that we lay down, you will lose your job. And that's a that's a very scary reality, especially when you're very dependent on that job. Well, it's the same thing at 26 and a half years in, in corrections. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was, there's the same thing. I mean, if you don't do, yeah, yeah. Uh, granted, it's union and the union will fight for you. But, sure. um, you know, I mean, if you don't do your job, even though you don't believe in it, you're going to get fired. And I mean, a state job is, is a pretty decent living. Oh yeah. You know, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm sure you've probably heard that at the prison, but I've heard it from people that were uh, ex cops. And I've heard it a lot in the military is that people are just going for that retirement. Right. They're trying to get their 20 years. Um, especially when you get closer to that date, you keep your head down a lot more and try to stay out of trouble because you don't want to risk losing that that pension, that, that retirement. Pension. That's right. It's a big deal. It's, it's security for you and your family. And, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to give that up. That's a hard thing to give up, especially, especially if you get over halfway there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard situation that you put uh, people into, but I think that's why you see a lot of officers comply with these. They don't want to lose their job and payment and security and retirement and healthcare uh, for their family. If, you know, they want to be principled and stand up against uh, these mask mandates or lockdowns or the drug war or whatever it is, they don't, they don't want to lose that. That's right. it's a very real and hard decision you have to make when the police officers do decide to side with these laws and to protect themselves. I don't, it's, I'm not saying it's an easy decision, but understand like when you do that, sometimes it's not going to work out well for the people's perspective and how they view the police, because, you know, they'll think that you'll just do anything the state does to protect your security. And that's not necessarily a good thing either. No, it's not. And I mean, it, and it happens. It does happen. Mm-hmm. You will do it. A lot of people will do anything for that pension. I mean, period. Yeah. I mean, if it means, you know, shooting a five-year-old kid over in Afghanistan, well, you know. Yeah, you never know. Right, right. The worst thing is, is like these, the jobs like the military and police. And sometimes I believe they almost shouldn't exist, at least the full extent of the job. Like all, there's no way that the the police should be in in charge enforcing all these different laws all the time. Like there's just so many different laws and so many different genres of the law that I think that it's, it's hard. And that's why you find a lot of police officers that have, you know, PTSD, they have a lot of different problems because I'm sure there's terrible, terrible things they see all the time. And it's not anything that, you know, they, they deal with the, the worst and lowest of our society all the time. 
And right. also there is some cases that, you know, it's a tough situation and you didn't want it to end that way, but you had to react fast or you could have lost your life. And taking a human life is not something that people can easily cope with a lot of the times, especially if it's a young teenager or child. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, it's very hard to be a cop. And I think that there's a lot of, if we're going to have cops, I think there should be some, I don't really know exactly, but some way to break down the roles a lot different because it seems like a cop has to deal with the traffic stop, but also has to go and check out a, a home invasion and go and, and, and checks out, you know, the, the neighborhood gang war going on. Like, I don't right. know. It seems like they have to do everything. And I, I think you need to, you know, if we're going to have police officers that do traffic, then they only do traffic. Oh, okay. If you have police officers that are for, you know, emergency quick response for like home invasions or burglars or domestic disputes. Sure. And, you know, things that are actually lead to violence. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, and I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure how the cops break it up and decide how to do things. I just think that th- if you're, you need to have better resources and better training and, and examples that if someone does, you know, mess up, they make a mistake, they, they, they conduct some court of misconduct or police brutality, you got to hold those people accountable. You, you just got to. Yeah. And I, you hit the nail on the head, so to speak, on that one. I think that the police officers should receive a lot more training. I don't know. I have not been able to find out how long an officer has to go to PTI or Police Training Institute. You know, that's the state of Illinois. I don't know about other states. How long you actually have to attend a schooling to become a police officer. But I think in the state of Illinois, it's like it's like 13 weeks. Okay. So that's 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 an three months. Yeah, that's an equivalent to uh, to to like Marine Corps boot camp. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you're not going to take somebody straight out of Marine Corps boot camp, say do your job, you know, because yeah. they have you real. Uh-huh. You're not supposed to. <laughs> you're not yeah, really well, supposed to. <laughs> you're not supposed to because they have no concept of what their job is. It's yeah. just like corrections in corrections. You had six weeks when I was there, you had six weeks of training up in Springfield in an academy that had nothing to do with prisons. Then you get dropped off at your institution and they say, go get them, boys. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, okay, hey, you've got West Cell House 8 and 10 Gallery. Good luck. So, I mean, you're like, what the heck? I mean, for the first, you know, six months you're there, you have no idea. You know, Mm -hmm. I've seen, I've seen uh, brand new officers just basically literally insult, you know, one of the major gang chiefs. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had, we had gang chiefs. We had the, the, the number one Latin King. We had, you know, the metros, you know, I mean, big people. And I'm sure, I'm I'm sure, (laughs) you know, you, yeah, you, you tell one of these guys the wrong thing they're probably going to find your head rolling down the gallery. Jesus. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and I, I've seen where one guy, you know, just basically insulted a, a, I believe it was the Metro chief for the state. You know, it was like, oh my God, we got to get him out of here. He was brand new, man. I mean, three weeks into the job. I had no you know, idea. And no had idea no what he idea. was doing. Yeah, I had no idea what this guy was, what this yeah. guy was about, what he was doing. There was no de-escalation, de-escalation training. When I was when I was uh, about halfway through my career, we got a director that that came up with the term verbal judo. Okay, so I, I don't know if you've heard that before, but uh, I've never heard it, but okay. I, I have an idea. Yeah. It's it is basically verbalizing and de-escalating a situation. 
Okay. Okay. I mean, there was one time, for example, I was up on a gallery by myself and the one guy that he was the gallery chief, if you will, I was locking him up and he goes, Hey, you know, he was late for lockup and he goes, am I going to get a ticket? I'm like, yeah, you're going to get a ticket. No, I'm not. I turn around. I turn around, dude. I was surrounded by his organization about 10 to 15 deep by myself on a gallery. And I look over to the tire. They're not there. I you mean, ain't giving that guy a ticket. <laughs> I ain't giving him a ticket. I did some serious verbal judo. You know, I tap dance my ass off that gallery. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very yeah. I think I think I think that there there's a lot of that, especially um, you see it in the Marine Corps too. You know, people come out very hot headed, um, and they don't understand. Now, there's a way the Marine Corps teaches you how things go, and there's a way that how things really go. Right. Like, I think one, just for an example that people don't understand is that, like, you know, a second lieutenant technically outranks a sergeant major. I think everyone knows that. Yeah, well, I'd hope. <laughs> I, think, I think everyone knows that, that technically a second lieutenant outranks a sergeant major. Right. But if a sergeant major tells a second lieutenant to do something, that second lieutenant well, likely does it like really quickly and he's you, oh yes yes sergeant major and like walks yeah. away right um and people don't understand that relationship at least you don't understand it right away and especially when you come in from you know you're new you just think like the officers are in charge and the enlisted are just the we listen to the officers and no one understands you know there's billet the rank structure and how it all works and how it comes together until you're in the in that atmosphere for a while I mean, I've heard plenty of times from people in the Marine Corps that just when you're learning your job itself that, you know, you, you go through your training, your school, and you learn your job or whatever, then you get to the, the fleet and get to your, your, your unit and you start talking about what you learned in school and they're like, yeah, forget like half of that. You don't, you don't need that. That's, <laughs> right. that's, out, that's outdated. <laughs> that makes no sense. And it, and it really does. And it depends on what unit you go to and what, uh, what they do at that unit. Like everywhere is different. So I think there's, I think that's true for, I mean, I've heard cops tell me that too. Ex-cops, they told me like the same thing. You know, we go through these training and then we get, we show up on the force and they're like, don't, that's stupid. We don't, we don't do any of that. And, and I mean, there was a one guy, uh, I forgot his name exactly, but he was on the JRE, the Joe Rogan experience, his first day on the job, uh, he, he basically got part of like one of the most corrupt police forces known. And he said the first day on the job, they took him out. They went to this like gang members house and the police officer he was training with didn't, he was like trying to get him to pay him some money or some drugs or something. And the, and the gang member didn't, and he threw him out the building. Oh, just threw him out the building right in front of the guy. He was like, that was my first day on the job. They just threw this guy off a roof because he didn't pay them enough money or something like that. And the guy has a whole, I mean, the guy, he, he was on the police force for eight, eight years, but he openly, I mean, he went to jail afterwards and he wrote a book when he got out, but he basically was saying that he's like, man, these, you when you get into an environment and everyone's on board with this environment everyone's just this is how it is this is the way it goes and if you try to change that or try to do the right thing people are not fond of you when when people are used to a a, a level of standard or a certain level of li living or a certain level of privileges and you come in there and try to threaten that they do not respond kindly to you and i think that i think that that's true for any human being in any atmosphere that you go into. I mean, if I start a new job and, you know, when I, after I get done my training and my new job, they tell me, hey, this, this way is actually dangerous. We don't do it this way. 
But then I join a team and everyone on that team does it the quote unquote dangerous way because they're telling me it's actually not dangerous. This is more effective and we can get done quicker. If I'd be like, well, boss, uh, my whole team is doing it the wrong way. My teammates are probably not going to like me. I'll probably just put my head down and be like, oh, okay, sir, let's, let's, let's get this done. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and that's a problem. I mean, with, with the state, you know, back to mm-hmm. Mr. Uh, Rothbard, you know, that mm-hmm. is the problem with the state. It is, you know, the status quo. It is, you know, what happens is the way we do it. And mm-hmm. eventually it starts snowballing and eventually getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think yeah. we're seeing that in society today, you know, where the the state is actually getting more corrupt and more and, and bigger not more bigger, but bigger. Mm-hmm. It's it's getting to the point where it's uh, really kind of scary. Yeah, and then I mean, we basically right now we we've created a a market for legislation. People uh, from different companies from all over our country and even in other countries will do their best to lobby and get yep. uh, fund any any politician they need to. I mean, you can look at. I mean, I think I think everyone, Democrat and Republican, can probably say that Hillary Clinton's a corrupt politician. I think that's the kind of the standard now, I would say. Um, but if you look at her, I mean, she basically got twenty like two hundred and fifty million dollars from the Saudi Arabian government that were donated to her uh, charity. Charity, right? And well, I mean, and you, like, you, well, okay. you go, go look at politicians. I mean, it's and not taking anything away from the president or not taking away anything from any type of, you know, secretary of state or governor. Okay. For example, in the state of Illinois, we had a billionaire run for office for governor Mm -hmm. and won. He had billions at his disposal and wanted to go after a government job. Okay. My question is why? Okay. Some people want power over money. Well, is it, or did you get more money from power? True. You know, I, think, I mean, yeah. you know, if you you're, if know. you're working for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year, but yet, you know, that's, that's what you're making off your savings account. You mm-hmm. know, uh, why would you, why would you even bother going in? I mean, like Donald Trump, for example, Donald Trump's a very rich man. He's a very smart businessman. Yeah. Why would you want to take on the issues and the problems of being a president of the United States? Well, I don't know. I think Trump's a little bit interesting. I've heard, I, I like know, him. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've heard, you know, I, I, I like his rhetoric, I, I would say. I like his rhetoric. I don't think, I think, you know, I think a, a, one of my favorite things about him is a lot of people think he is a clown or they think he is a doofus. And I'd rather that rhetoric be on the leader of the free world because then people will second guess about sending their kids to go die in a pointless war across seas for a man that is considered a doofus or a clown. Yeah, I think true. I like that. I like that. And, but I think... That, you know, I've heard, I'm not really too sure. I heard Donald Trump actually puts on this facade that he was super rich, but he actually wasn't as rich and flashy as, as people thought he was. I mean, now this, to the level between me and you, he's, he's a rich man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think partially that, you know, I mean, Donald Trump, I mean, from the nineties was talking about running for president on Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that it seemed like he either he had in his mind for a long time. I'm not really for sure on his goal or rhetoric, but I kind of think it was more, in my opinion, he seems, he's very egotistical. Um, if you, if you 
bash oh, on wow. him in any way. He'll come at you with everything, and he does not care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, if you, you know, worked for him. As a, if, if Mike Pence came out tomorrow and said something that could be can, perceived as an insult to Donald Trump, he'd probably fire him right there and be like, get out of here. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't even know if he can fire the vice president. Is that true? I don't know how that works. I, I really actually don't know how that would work. But yeah. I, I, I know that, you know, he's – if anyone insults him in any way, he'll – He'll find you and he'll come after you and he'll probably make you look worse. And I think that it's part of his ego. And I think that's why he maybe wanted to become president. It's, you know, the most powerful position probably in our world world. right now. Right. So um, I think that plays a part into it. I think I I honestly do believe in some level he has a little bit of a heart. I think he does uh, care at some level, maybe Mm. probably not as much as a normal person, but uh, I think at some level he does care. For example, he talks when he was talking about the, so when the corporate press was basically pushing that the Syrian president Assad was gassing his own people, um, he didn't fire any missiles or anything. It wasn't until the next day they they there was pictures of children that were uh, hit by the gas, and that's when Donald Trump was like, "Yo, no, I'm I'm we're firing missiles." And then it came out that you know there it was all a lie. There was Assad was not gassing his own people, and Trump felt very bad. And you know, you don't actually see presidents that actually feel bad for you know killing innocent people. Right. As much as I, I still think it's a crime, and maybe he should you know face some sort of trial for it. I, I'm not sure, but I think having that sort of attitude is a lot more welcoming to me than people that will bomb and destroy multiple different nations and then not even lose sleep over it the next day and actually brag (laughs) brag about it on national television hillary clinton bragged about it on national television as she joked with the reporter that we just you know we killed Gaddafi. she was bragging about that on on cnn and it it was a joke to her even though libya is a literally slavery has been brought back to the country it was the richest country in africa now it's at an all-out war there's slavery people being traded on a slave trade people dying and from just normal illnesses that you can easily get taken care of like the the country's in shambles now because of their foreign policy and i i'd rather someone you know feel at least present themselves as they feel bad about yeah, these yeah, terrible true. things then I, I just don't think rack. donald trump is all that compassionate though i mean honestly sure i mean he is a businessman he is a shrewd businessman yeah very and, shrewd. And, right <laughs> Uh, but I mean, which is I think what our country needed, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's something that uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I think he was needed. I didn't vote for him in sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I believe I even voted for Gary Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's a very you know a compelling argument for why people voted for Trump. I think he was this outsider that came in and he acted like he was not the establishment and everyone was against the establishment. I mean, right. if it wasn't Donald Trump, it was probably going to be Jeb Bush. That means right. Jeb Bush and a Clinton, we're going to run against each other in an election. And it's like, this is our options. We've already had this family in charge before some of them twice. Yeah. And now you're telling me our only options are them again. Right. So Donald well, Trump comes in there and he just starts haymakers at these people, oh, yeah, yeah. insulting them, slamming them, dogging them every chance he gets. And I think that is why a lot of people like Donald Trump. They didn't give, I don't think they, I mean, some people probably liked his policies about, you know, build the wall or in the wars yeah. and 
and some things like that. But I think the main reason is he was not that typical politically correct politician. And he was going in there and saying exactly what he wanted to these, these people that live on their high towers and these yeah posh politicians. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people liked about him more. And especially the way our culture is moving against like this whole woke PC. We got to be sensitive against everybody. And Donald Trump went in there and was like, no, I'm going to say what I want. I'm a rich white man and I'm going to get to the top and I don't care who I hurt on the way there. And I think it resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. I, and I mean, I'm, I'm glad he is president. I mean, like I said, uh, I just, I didn't vote for him, but I am glad he is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, hell my stock's taken off. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's sad to say, but I mean, that's, I mean, people like money. And I think that uh, Donald Trump is, uh, is doing very well for the economy. I mean, I think even today the market is up again, you know, mm-hmm. which, which is really kind of a, an odd thing too, because we're, our market is blowing up, but yet our small businesses are dying. It's the, I think it's the result of a fake economy. I mean, I think, so this is how I, at least the easiest way for me to explain it is all I'm going to say is that if I have a, a, a bunch of savings in my bank account, let's just say I have $20,000. But the next person over, they they just bought a $20,000 car and they have no savings. So now when the government actually prints money and uh, they just printed like the most they've ever printed in human history, which was like over $2 trillion worth of money. So that means that the value of the US dollar goes down. Mm-hmm. So the, my, when I, the guy that was saving his money and just trying to save it had $20,000. Now the value of that $20,000 has gone down. And the guy that actually bought a car for $20,000, the price of that actually goes up with inflation. Right. So now he can turn around and sell that car for $25,000 right now. And the person that was saving his money is actually losing value and the dollars that he saves. So these companies, I mean, they have a bunch of assets and all this, all the, that's basically how they run. They have a, a crap ton of assets. That's how they, how the economy works. So when people that are investing in stock, they buy, you know, they buy assets and all of a sudden this inflation kicks in, this cost of stock goes up, but the value of the dollar actually decreases. And that's why you see these, these small businesses are, they, they, they can't, they can't keep a, a footing in this economy anymore, but the stock prices and, and people that trade gain because the assets actually get more expensive. Hmm. Way off from economy and everything, but I don't know if you want to discuss anything with the uh, Ryan Whitaker stuff. Um, oh, um, cause I, I, I did listen to your guys' episode of uh, number 70, I believe. Yeah. Uh, with his brother. And I'm, I'm telling you, I've told everybody, I mean, that almost made me cry. That, I'll that, be honest. I'm, I'm glad there was no video in that oh. one because uh there's a couple of times i didn't pull out cry but i was probably about to <laughs> a yeah. couple of times i mean it was like dang that was um, I, in my opinion i now i haven't listened to the next two episodes but in my opinion that episode 70 is probably your guys's best you know? um i mean we've got a lot of good feedback from it so it's it's starting to look that way um for us uh we've we've got a lot more people that reached out and commented on that one more than any other one we've done so it's looking like that for us too I'll just say that uh, it's the, basically it's the brother of Ryan Whitaker. If you guys don't, if anyone that doesn't know about this, um, there was an instance between Ryan Whitaker and the Phoenix police department 
uh, here back in May of May 21st of this year, 2020. And I mean, you can pretty much, if you just Google Ryan Whitaker, you'll be able to see the, the body cam footage. Uh, it's, it's out there and you can find it really fast. Uh, I'll just say from watching the videos, my opinion, I feel like that Ryan Whitaker was unjustified, justifiably murdered by the Phoenix Police Department. It, there's a lot of uh, media silence on this one. Um, it doesn't get as big coverage as the more uh, racially tensioned ones than, than before. So we reached out on my podcast, Biting the Bullet, um, to Stephen Whitaker, who's the brother of Ryan Whitaker. And uh, we just gave him a platform to speak on the issue. It's a... Uh, now, I would say most of our podcast is a little bit more funny, uh, at least we try to be, or goofy at least. So that episode, episode number 70, is a lot more serious. Um, it, it's not really joking that much. We basically just get a backstory of, of Stephen Whitaker, um, get a little bit of a backstory on Ryan, and then we uh, actually go a little bit in depth on what happened that day. And uh, it's just, a, it's a little hard hearing, um, you know, a brother talk about the, the watch basically watching their brother be murdered on on camera so yeah um and then how the reaction of the the state is i mean they're still under investigation it's been three or four months since the incident so it's in in my opinion i don't understand what they're investigating um the two officers that were involved in this are back and working at the the police force you know getting a paycheck every week now they're not back on the they're not on the street. They're they're actually no. on desk duty, no. right? Okay. Yeah, they're they're yeah they're at uh, some restricted uh, job. They, they I think yeah they're basically you know doing doing paperwork at this moment. Uh, yeah, it's still in my opinion it's sad. So first I would say you should probably go watch the video if you haven't seen it yet. If you look Ryan Whitaker up, it's it pops up really quickly. And then if you want, you can go listen to Stephen Whitaker, uh, his brother. Uh, actually talk about it he's been in he was on the news a couple times but he only briefly talks for a couple seconds at least you see on the news this episode we gave him like basically a full hour to uh, talk to us and go over the incident and it's one of my uh, favorite episodes we've done but also one of the saddest fair yeah. warning <laughs> yeah yeah it's a uh, it was that it, was i mean the whole situation was brutal i mean period. Mm-hmm. And the one, I mean, first of all, I mean, the cop was probably scared. I don't know how long he'd been on the force or anything, but he seemed relatively new, you know, and I mean, he, you know, they showed up to the door with their guns drawn, first of all. That was, that was, you know, first flag, you know, which was an alleged. I'd say that, yeah, I would say the first flag actually comes from the discussion between the operator and the person complaining, because it it was, was, at first it was a noise complaint the first time the neighbor called. Right. It was a noise complaint. Um, the cops didn't get there fast enough. The neighbor called again. And basically the operator, in my opinion, which you can hear this all in the video too, the operator upsells the crime because he, the neighbor is basically still complaining that this is a, a noise complaint. And then the operator is the one that actually suggests, is this some sort of domestic dispute? And then the neighbor confirms it by saying, if it gets you here faster, yes, it is. Right. And- and then right before the co- the cops get out of the car and before they approach the apartment, um, they actually confirmed to each other that this was a BS call. And the operator, they don't know what's about to happen. They don't know if it, they don't think it's a domestic dispute, but they think it's kind of BS and it's just some angry neighbor calling about a noise complaint. But I mean, okay, so if if their intention, if their thought patterns were, you know what, this is BS, it's a noise complaint, 
you know, the guys in there probably just playing this video game way too loud, or, you know, maybe they're having a little party, whatever. Mm -hmm. Why would you arrive at a door that you think is a BS call with your weapons drawn? Yeah. And why would, and the door has a people, why would you step to the side where no one can see you? Exactly. So like if someone, let's just say, uh, you know, and you know, I, I, the Stephen Whitaker told us that um, a couple nights before there was someone knocking on the door uh, of their apartment in the middle of the night and they had no idea who it was. And Ryan went out there to look and no one was there. Uh, no one was at the door. So and then a couple nights later, someone's knock on the door. He looks at the people. He can't see who's out there. He has no idea that there's two cops standing on the side. Yeah. So when, when he opens the door and the cops have, they have a flashlight just right in his face. So you can't tell, like, you know, your eyes have to adjust. Like, it takes a second for you to, like, oh, God, like, who the hell is just flashing a light at me? Right. You know, he stepped out, and then in his right hand, he had his firearm. and uh, Which is legal in the state of Arizona. Right. Yes, it is, that is a legal, that, yeah, you are allowed to carry a firearm pretty much almost anywhere unless it's designated you can't in the state of Arizona. And there's hardly, the gun laws are very lenient here in Arizona. In my opinion, it appears that Ryan realizes it's the police. He throws up his left hand while trying to put his gun on the ground or at least squat down. And it, lo it looks like he's, he's trying to surrender at some way. And the cop, I guess it would be to his left when he steps out, right. is the one that uh, shoots him two or three times into the back. And I don't even think Ryan ever knew that cop was there. I mean, yeah, and, that, yeah. I mean, even even just now talking about it, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, I mean, one of the, and probably the saddest part for me in the video was when they pull the girlfriend. He has a girlfriend in there, and they pull her out of the apartment, and they are talking to her literally while Ryan is bleeding out. I mean, you can hear. Probably what I'm going to guess is probably his last breath. You can hear it on the body cam footage as that man bleeds now, out and dies. And I, th I think I've, I've, I've talked to you about this before. Is it a law or is it uh, an issue that police cannot render medical assistance? I'm not really 100% sure for the area that I live in, which okay. is I live in, if anyone doesn't know, I live in Arizona, uh, the Phoenix area. And now it is a law in some places. Um, I'm not sure. I'll probably have to look into that. But um, there's some police unions because they they don't want to suffer for the or be liable for anything. If you know, if someone tries to perform first aid or immediate medical assistance and they do something wrong or it's not the proper technique or something, um, they you can actually sue the police officers for you know incorrect. In, I guess it's called malpractice or whatever. Right. Um, but, I mean, the same is true for a common citizen, too. I mean, if someone's well, bleeding it, on the ground. Yeah. Now, you cannot be sued for the Good Samaritan Act. Okay. So, basically, you can render medical assistance to somebody. That changes it, from state to state. That's not across the board. I was thinking that was that was across the board. I mean. Yeah. So, I'm not. I mean, in, well, in most, okay. a lot of police stations, a lot of police officers are trained in first aid. And, you know, I think at least half of the places in the country, I think they do immediately. I mean, if you looked at the Jacob Blake incident when he was shot almost, you know, six or seven, uh, fired at seven times, hit. hit four. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. When you when you looked at that case, I mean, almost immediately the cops rendered first aid before there was any first responders there. 
Okay. And, and um, what, I, what, I, what I'd like to say too is I would rather be sued for trying to save somebody's life than I yeah. would uh, than to be sued for killing somebody or letting somebody. Yeah. So, it, but in this case, with the Ryan Whitaker case, the girlfriend is basic. Basically, she said that there's no domestic violence that was going on. Ryan right. would never hit me, and she confirms this multiple times. She. Uh, states over and over that they were playing video games and making salsa so it looked like they were just being a little too loud in their apartment complex having fun and oh and she is trying to beg and plead with the officer yeah. to go over there and check on ryan because he's laying there bleeding out yeah. and the cop basically tells her he i'm gonna go with the side that he's not and they're not they're not treating him they're not yeah. they're letting him die or basically bleed out and die I mean, obviously, they probably called the ambulance, and the ambulance is on the way. But I don't know how long that's going to be. 10, 5, min- 10, oh, everything, 15, Everything in the Phoenix minutes. area is 20 minutes. So Yeah, so right. who, who knows how long there it's going to take them. And uh, seconds like that really matter when after you shoot someone two or three times. Like, this is yeah. it's a pretty – you have a short window of operations to save his life. And at least if you did make a mistake like that, which in my opinion, it was either a mistake or a bad judgment call or murder. And yeah, at least, at least you have to do something to try to redeem yourself with some redeemable quality and just letting a man bleed out and die after you shoot him. Oh my God. I think that's like, what are you doing? I mean, it's yeah. Great. Okay. The officer that fired the shot, he was not involved with the girlfriend at all. But I think in the video, if I'm not mistaken, you see him in the background kind of standing there. I'm yeah. not sure if you see him standing there, but it looks like he goes inside he, the apartment. Or maybe he goes inside the apartment. I can't, yeah, I can't remember without actually pulling it up. But, you know, I mean, it's, come on, man. I mean. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. This is Craig from The Unbeaten Path. I'm glad you could make it and last through that little break. So anyway, we're going to be joining our conversation with The Real Typo from Biting the Bullet podcast. Welcome back. The, the, the girlfriend actually kept asking, why did you shoot him? I mean, I think she asked that question multiple times and their response is, he had a gun, he had a gun. Um, so I just think that the, the whole incident is kind of insane think it's a very tough situation for anyone but it, it, in my opinion it seems it was misconduct or uh possibly even murder on the police uh yeah, with police malice. officer's part with malice yeah. I, I don't know was there do you know if there's any connection between this uh what was his name officer cook neil cook uh, or something uh no as far as as far as i know um from talking to steven it's it didn't seem like there was any sort of personal relationship between ryan and this officer it just seemed like a uh, just bad handling of the situation. And uh, like you said, fear, I think fear yeah. was the leading contributor to this incident. Cause at first when, when it, when I first learned about this and everything, and I, I knew that now Ryan Whitaker was, was divorced, correct? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay. And I was just wondering if there was any connection between this officer cook and, you know, Ryan Whitaker's ex-wife. I uh, know. I, I don't mean, think there's yeah. any anything like that. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence of that. So okay. at that yeah. point, that would just be speculation. Yeah, then that would be me 
with the whole conspiracy theory type stuff, you know, jumping yeah. off, you know, that, so, I mean, I did absolutely. I mean, that was just my opinion. Worth yeah. At, at, at first sight. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, anyone, but again, if anyone, you if you don't want to watch the video, it's pretty gruesome, but uh, we, we do go over it. Um, you can talk it. We talk about it on our podcasts and I think that's what we're ultimately leading to uh, is episode 70. Yeah. Give it a listen if you're more interested in this topic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was, yeah, definite changing point for me, you know, with, uh, I mean, I, I get it. You know, sometimes people get a bit overzealous and they do things. I, I know I've seen cops, I've seen corrections officer do things that they shouldn't have yeah. bounce, bounce somebody off the floor, you know, or, but I mean, this was an extreme case of complete negligence in, in my opinion. I mm-hmm. mean, one, they should, they should have, you know, got that guy help. You know, oh yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. or rendered aid to this guy, even even if it's just holding this guy's hand, you know, and saying, "Man, I'm I'm really sorry," you know, or something, you yeah. know, before he passed. And I mean, that's just, I mean, it, it, you know, like I don't, I, I'm not going to kill your guys' episode or anything, but man, I mean, that just really, it really tears yeah. me up that something like this is allowed to happen without without any type of uh, punishment or you know. They're still yeah. paying this guy. You yeah, know, I mean, I mean, I've known I've known guys down at the prison that were put on leave of absence without pay. You know, for for a year and a half, two years. Oh wow! It was with with and it, this what nobody died. You know, they there was a, a case where one guy or a couple officers went into a cell because this guy was causing problems and roughed him up. They were wrong in this. They got caught. So they, they ended up actually receiving like, I mean, like almost, I'm going to say son of a buck, like two years discipline, you know, no pay, no nothing. You're, you're on leave until we can further evaluate this. And I think out of, out of three officers that, uh, that, that were involved, I think only one of them ever came back. Wow. Yeah. And they weren't charged criminally that I know of. I mean, they, they, they lost a state job. You know, which was, I mean... Yeah, for a long time, it seems like. Well, yeah. I mean, and some of them were permanently. You know, they were terminated. Yeah. And, and the reason I think it lasted so long was because of the union, which, you know, is, is kind of kind of shit that the unions do. You know, the union will protect the POS, uh, which is a piece of shit. You know, they'll, they'll yeah. bend over backwards for that. You know, but mm-hmm. when, it, when it gets to something, you know, safety issues or something like that, they'll, they'll slide quite a bit on yeah i mean it's and it's pretty uh you know it's pretty amazing how you'll watch when an officer or someone even in the military if you if you go against them in any way they'll let you go real quick or punish you accordingly Mm -hmm. but when you're doing something that the you know the state wants you to do or upholding any sort of law or something like that they'll go at they'll go almost to the the end of the world to defend you and try to protect that person i mean i mean i mean i watched i mean i was in the marine corps and i've watched multiple different um people in the military you know get in trouble for like underage drinking you know my, minor minor offenses i would say underage drinking you know they just didn't uh, they'll bad mouth an officer or bad mouth you know a, a leader back. right yeah 
and you know things that you know you don't want uh, in the military but they'll you know sometimes they'll take it to the level of public uh njp or public punishment mm -hmm. in front of everyone when they do that and I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with it all the time. I think it's a very valuable tool, especially if someone does something terrible, then, you know, you want to set the example. And I have no problem with that in a lot of different cases. But the thing is, they do that in the military, they'll do it to lower ranks, but someone that's been there a while or yeah. someone that is in a position of power or they'll, they'll hush hush, they don't talk about it. And I think that mentality is what a lot of police departments do too is they try to keep it under the rug as much as they can and they try to protect their own as, as much as they can and and which, as, in, which any, in any brotherhood you're going to as that's what i was going to say um in any sort of club mm -hmm. uh, or or anything like that a lot of times that does happen i mean there's examples of that happening with the church there's examples of that happening with you know people just in, in together in a community they'll if, if someone is loved or uh, respected in that community, the community will attend to protect that person as much as they can, even if the person is wrong in the situation. It just depends. It depends on the level of the crime, mm -hmm. and it depends on um, the, the it depends on the public outcry a lot too. Well, that public outcry is 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 a big factor in the Ryan Whitaker case too, isn't it? Uh, didn't he? Yeah, the That's, attorney general yes. say yeah. Yeah, basically the, the the attorney general for the Phoenix area basically said that it, it cases they they take case by take case basis. And some cases will get more attention depending on public outcry. I mean, and how it's is like, that? Yeah, <laughs> really. I mean, it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Now, but, honestly, I, I think that it, legitimately that is like, that's normal. Like with any sort of situation, that's normal. It, when people, when the more people that are mad about it, the more attention a company or a government agency will address that. But for them to outright say it, that's right. a little diff. That's a little bit different yeah, than the squeaky um, wheel gets the grease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, it's yeah, like, it, come on, man. I mean, but I mean, this I, I understand. There was an outcry about somebody embezzling a hundred thousand dollars, and so the AG will say, okay, well, there's there's a pretty good. So we're going to focus in on this, or there's a public outcry that, uh, you know, somebody somebody got a DUI. You know, so they're going to prosecute this person, mm -hmm. you know, instead of saying, oh, well, we'll just give you some probation and you can just go on your, by your way. No, but this is, this is murder. I mean, this is a capital case, you know, whether it is even just, it can be even taken down a manslaughter, mm -hmm. but it sounds to me like the AG is saying, Hey, we're really not going to push this issue because Phoenix PD will get the shit suit out of them, you know? Yeah. So they're, they're waiting for everything to calm down and everything to go away. And then they're going to come out and say, Hey, look, family, we're going to offer you, you know, $600,000, you know, with a, NDC, yeah. with a, with an NDC, uh, you know, you know, not NDA. NDA, NDA agreement. Right. I was thinking closure, but yeah. Yeah. An NDA. Uh, right. I mean, uh, the same thing happened in the Brianna Taylor case. Now you can agree with it, disagree with it all you want, but the state took the same level of, uh, they basically paid um, the Taylor, Brianna Taylor's family a su su substantial amount of money. Twelve million. Uh, oh, I think they were pursuing twelve million. I'm not sure if they actually got. 12 oh, I million. thought they actually got it because it was really maybe kind they of, did. 
it was really kind of creepy a way the mother when the mother got the check you know it was like i got 12 million dollars it wasn't like my daughter's dead you know that's weird yeah it was it was weird when she got the check it was it was weird yeah Yeah. that is that is weird and then i mean you know i of course like uh the money that sort of money and payout would help i mean when someone dies in a family they're probably you know contributing economically to their family so they you know they need some sort of financial stability and uh, that's great and you know at some level i can agree with the state paying these people out but someone died and i think that you need to hold these people accountable and i i don't know at the very least, they shouldn't be police officers anymore at the, at the very, very least. Exactly. Um, uh, but, I mean, there's cases and incidents where uh, police officers actually get, after some sort of misconduct has been confirmed, they, they fire them, and then they go work two counties over at a different police department, and they're basically doing the same thing. Right. Um, I mean, you, but you, I, you look at a doctor, if a doctor makes a mistake, you know, and somebody dies, mm-hmm. okay, uh, guess what they're no longer doing yeah they lost their license <laughs> yeah yeah they could yeah. no longer be a doctor and you know and, it, and yeah and I, I think this kind of leads back to uh you know murray rothbard a little bit it's the stage the agency of the police is just an extension of the state and they're the people that are in they're the people that are part of their little group and they'll do anything they can to protect their people as much as possible and and also, it even maybe it's not intentional or not, but that is a level of fear that sticks with the civilians. Because if yes. you watch a police officer do something, and if, if you literally take away the uniform, and if anyone else does it, you know that person would be thrown in a cage and probably doing like, you know, 20 years to life. Absolutely. But then a state agent does something, and they get away with it. That puts a level of fear into the people that you better listen to that officer, no matter what the command is. Because if that... If let's just say the worst case scenario ever, the a cop is a racist, he's a, a rapist, he's the worst possible uh, imaginable cop that ever existed, right. and he come and he forces himself into your house and tells you to do something, even though it, you know it is wrong, that you know that if you fight back, you could probably get away with it. There's still that level of fear in your head that this guy is a police officer. And I don't know, it, it's like a, it's like a gang members or anything like that. Once you know that someone's part of this gang, uh, you know what happens when you mess with that gang. They bring yeah. everything on you and they come yeah. after your, you, your family, and they don't, it doesn't matter. There's no stopping it. So now you create this fear and that that's a huge, uh, you know, it's a huge incentive for people to just either go along with whatever the state enforces or anything because if you do anything to fight back they're in charge of everything they're in charge of the laws they're in charge of the the judges to make these laws or pass these laws they're basically in charge of picking the juries at some level they're 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 in charge of everything yeah they have everything on their side if they want they they can also be the executioner at this point yeah and some states that's that's still uh legal yeah and i mean it's a yeah and like you said, I mean, it, it instills a level of fear for the next person that gets in trouble with the law. You know, and they're thinking, wait a minute, they just, just killed this person. Everybody mm-hmm. and their brother knows it. My gosh, what are they going to do to me? You know, mm-hmm. so now, I mean, it's you you can escalate either way on this. I mean, I mean, be- there's there's people that compare the state to the mafia. And I used to never really like that comparison because, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But no. 
the more and more as time goes on for me, I kind of, I start to understand that comparison a lot more because well, it's just on the basic level of uh, how, how does the mafia get money? They basically go to people's places of business or their home and extort mm-hmm. them saying, Hey, you want my protection? And if you don't give them money for it, mean, they'll protect you. Don't get me wrong. You call them, the mafia will show up because you're, you're, you're a taxpayer in this That's scenario. Right. Yep. The, the mafia will show up and protect you. But if you don't pay that money that they're uh, demanding from you, they'll start destroying your store or they'll kidnap you or they'll maybe even possibly kill you. I mean, it's who knows in this scenario with the, with the mafia, but that's basically what the state does. If you refuse to pay taxes, they're going to take it. They'll probably take you away and throw you in a cage away from your family. And that's a, that's a felony. Yeah. That's a felony charge right there. And that is not something that's easy to deal with if you serve your time and get out. Um, So I think the comparison between the state and the mob is, is it's a very real comparison. It's just that everyone has this idea that the state is more legitimized than the the mafia. Well, it, it, the state is legal yeah. because a majority of the population says we need the state. You know, yeah. you guys, you guys take care of us. That is yeah. not what our government is for. You know, yeah. our government mm-hmm. is not to take care of the people. No. It is to, it, yeah. And I mean, that's yeah, that boils me too. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a long. It took a long process, and I mean, Murray, Murray Rothbard goes into this, but the uh, probably the American constitution and bill of rights is the farthest possible link any government has ever been formed to try to restrict the power of the government and in my opinion it, it almost every bill of rights or every amendment has been violated i mean you could level. probably yeah i mean if we just look back through history from when our the founding fathers created america and not to where we are today i would say every single amendment has been violated at some point in time uh, during our country oh, yeah. uh, and I guess gets it gets worse and you know I think the, that mindset of like this is the way it is this is the way it's always been I mean you were born what in the 60s right and the drug war wasn't that big at least not yet it, it started in a way it but Reagan started. yeah but I would say Reagan really ramped it up during in in the 80s and but before I was born in the 90s so now I I was alive the whole time that this drug war was going on so I think that's just normal that's right. a normal way of living life. Like this drug war must be the way that uh, it's, that's how it's always been. So that's how we must keep it. I think there's just things like that where people just get to used to living like the, I mean, the Patriot Act, which basically allowed the government to spy on U.S. citizens. Now you have kids growing up where that's normal. Right. That is okay. That is yeah. what the government's done my whole life. So why would we change that? You know, it's for our security. That's why we have to have the TSA. That's it's, why we have to have... It's for the people. Yes. Right. <laughs> Murray Roth, Rothbard, I mean, saying that it is... Yeah. When the, when the government feels threatened, it's, you know, now you've got this enemy, a common mm-hmm. enemy, and he's not coming after the government. He's coming after you. Yeah, you know? you, they, they want you for your freedoms. That's right. They that's, hate you because yeah, of your freedom. Sorry. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and I love that. And I know you said you didn't care for it, but with the analogy with the state being the mafia, if you will, I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen personally, I was in Australia. There was a, a Chinese re- or Chinese gift shop there on a corner. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, this place got shot up. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, I, I didn't personally see it. I was in the hotel right next to it. You know, we're right outside of Chinatown in, in Sydney, Australia. So, you know, a buddy of mine, you know, we're walking along. We stop into this gift shop to pick up, you know, 
souvenirs or whatever. You know, the guy that I'm with, he's, he's like, uh, and he's talking to the store owner. He goes, I guess you didn't make your payment, did you? And that Chinese lady in there knew exactly what he was talking about. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those really awkward moments, you know. It was like, oh, was this like a legit mafia or was this like Yeah, the, the Chinese. No, the Chinese oh, okay. mafia. Oh, so, okay, okay. In a sense, okay. Let's I mean you we we can cite probably 20 cases right now, yeah. you know, with where the government, okay, or the state came in and shot a place up because they didn't pay their taxes. You know, they mm-hmm. were, they, you know, the Branch Davidians, you know, I mean. Uh, they, were, they were violating some sort of law that they enforced. Right. Yeah. So they came in and shot it up. Well, guess what? Yeah. That, that was okay. You know, but in Sydney, Australia, yeah. in Chinatown, it was, it was okay that the Chinese mafia did this. Yeah. So I guarantee you the next time that store owner is going to make her payment, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. You uh, You saw the repercussions. And um, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just at a much higher level of power that, and I mean, I think he kind of goes into this a little bit in his book, but he basically says that like, they have to keep this facade that they are the almighty beings in charge and they, you know, dictate the, they write, they write something on a piece of paper and it magically becomes the law of the land. That's how our system works. And since, you know, our whole lives, we've lived under some sort, some sort of government um, here in America. And even before there was America, they lived under some sort of state. And right. that's just the way it's been. It's the way it's always been. And there's no alternative resources because that would be too dangerous. That would right. be deadly for people. And, I mean, you know, people can make arguments for that. And well, you said, you know, the, you know, the God given, you know, all powerful. Okay. For, for the state. Okay. Now that's, that's been throughout history. I mean, your yeah. Egyptians, your Pharaohs, they were actually direct descendants from the gods. You know, yeah. then you got, you know, your British monarchy, mm-hmm. they were appointed by God. Yeah. Okay. I mean, seriously. I mean, if you listen to the British oracles, I think is what it's called. Basically in the British government or the British family was actually chosen by God. The Chinese, the emperors and uh, the Jap- Japanese, they were uh, descendants of God. You know, mm-hmm. the, the emperor of Japan, you weren't even allowed to look at him because he was so godlike. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I mean, and- yeah. I think that's why people like to make that comparison between the, uh, well, I call it statism and or religion. And it's not that it's, I mean, they are different things in themselves, but at the same time and the level that the state uses it is the same. I mean, they went from using religion to control people and that was predominantly through history what the state would use to uh, enforce their reign. Mm-hmm. But now it's changed a little bit where it's not religion, but it's your uh, ideo- ideological idea oh my gosh <laughs> your I- ideology yeah whatever something that like yeah. that something like that big words <laughs> um but yeah so if you know if there's a lot of people they fall in the line of republican or democrat and we have to push our religion or our ideas on other people and people get mad when it's the opposite side enforcing their will on you but you're happy when your leader's in charge enforcing their will on people that don't think like you Uh, i would say the acceptable window of what you can believe in between republican democrat is in my opinion is they're almost almost the same 
if basically at some level the Republicans and Democrats come together all the time and do pass bipartisan legislation all the time. They almost agree on everything, at least at some level. I mean, Democrats will, yeah. it, Democrats will say like, oh, we don't, we need to increase uh, Social Security by 20%. And Republicans say, no, we only need to increase it by 5%. So it's like, well, no one's arguing that we should, you know, push it across the board for everyone. And no one's arguing that we should abolish it. It's just this little small window of opportunity where you're supposed to align yourself with. And if you think outside those boxes, you're a radical, you are a possibly an enemy, you're crazy, you're probably wearing a tinfoil hat. And you're, you believe in conspiracy theories. And, and I hate that argument about conspiracy theories, because the, the, the founding fathers created the com- country on a conspiracy. They, yeah. They met in secret and basically were creating a new government and rebelling against the king. That is a conspiracy that happened, and it That's went right. through. So I, people I, that... I, I love that. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. And I mean, the whole thing, too, even, even if you take back the American Revolution, the, the people that were – the Boston Massacre, for example – Mm-hmm. I want to say that's either 1792 or, or excuse me, 1772 or 1773. I can't remember what year it was. It was before the revolution. And what had happened was these people were protesting against the British government. And you had your British soldiers there, which were called the Lobsterbacks. And- March 5th, 1770. Oh, 70. Wow. I wasn't even close. So, yeah. A couple I years. Mean, Not yeah. bad. Well, still, but I mean, okay, so they, they, the, the colonialists actually get out of hand, okay? Yeah. And, you know, so the British government or the soldiers, the state, shoot these, what, they kill four, maybe? Yeah, it's four of them that they killed, four, four maybe a killed. couple more injured. Yeah, there were some injuries, but I mean, okay, they use force against a mob, okay, because they said they feared in their life. But who defended the British soldiers. John Adams. John Adams, the the second president of the United yeah. States. Yeah, okay. I believe so. Okay, that's that's cool. You know, it's it, it kind of it kind of reflects today on why the Boston Massacre was one of the precursors to the American Revolutionary War. Okay, yeah, so think about it. Even when we're taught in uh, middle school, I mean, I'm taught, I was taught that the Boston Massacre was this big revolutionary thing that the, right. the British Empire was enforcing their will on the colonists and they went too far and violent and it was violently went too far when probably at at the time most people would probably be like no good an angry mob got out of control and were being violent and the cops shot them like a lot of people like yeah exactly yeah you know and you know what you know what really made it such a big deal the media Mm. Oh, the media. Oh, the, the media. newspapers. Yeah. The newspapers yeah. of the time yeah. made it into this huge deal. And well, that's it, when yeah, they made they called it the massacre. I mean, and now the bare minimum definition of a massacre is four people. If four are, people are die, you me? <laughs> that is <laughs> if four people die, it can be called a massacre. So that's you can if if someone does a school shooting, they can call it the the high school massacre because oh, four people died. I didn't realize that. I don't know if that has a relation between. I bet it is. Uh, I have no idea if it does, but it's a safe assumption to assume that because. Well, why else would you pick four? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, such, it's an arbitrary number, and yeah. when people hear massacre, 
it sounds mass. Yeah. Mass is a big word. I'm it sounds twenty or more. You yeah, know? I mean, I'm <laughs> thinking. I'm thinking. Damn, man, he got a lot of people. And it's like, and like it, it's still a tragedy. Tragedy when five people or four people die. Right. But it's not as bad as thirty people dying. Right. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, it's like holy. I didn't even realize that. I didn't. I thought a massacre meant like, you yeah, know, a shit ton. And yeah. Yeah. Now it's it's just like a small group. I mean, you know, then, not even a then, basketball team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Right. And the media ran with it. And I mean, it didn't, I have no idea how much it resonated throughout the colonies, but I'm sure it resonated at some, oh, some level. And, and a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of revolutions start with like less than 2% of the support of the people. Oh, like really? There's not, there's not that much support. What happens is that when a revolution does start, the state always oversteps its boundaries and is way more violent than they probably should be in the beginning. So when there is a, a small, you know, rebel group or re a rebellious bunch trying to get away from the, the, their government, the government always comes in and violently stomps them down. And, and they don't do it tactfully. They don't do it, the, uh, I would say, strategically. And they think they can just go in and just wipe these people out and it's over. But it, it, exactly. It's not... That's not how it works. Once the state, I mean, the British troops, once they started sending more people in and they were looking for these rebels, they would ransack neighborhoods. Yep. And a lot of these British soldiers, you know, had some sort of elitist mentality to them. So there was cases where they, you know, raped women in different towns and villages. There's cases where they would just take their food sources and, and, um, their leave them water to for the winter. Yeah. Yep. And leave them to starve for the winter. And, you know, over time, these small little things that you do to, I mean, once you destroy someone like you, especially back then, when these communities were very tight, that's the only people they knew. And that's the only people you can communicate with, because there's no cell phones or, right. you know, letters took forever. But the only time you communicated with people on a social is when you'd go to town and talk to the storekeeper or, you know, other people in the town. So you mess with one person in that town, it's going to resonate with the entire community. And like, if, if, if at the worst case scenarios, these soldiers were raping, you know, women, and uh, at the least, or the, maybe the least thing is they might have been a little uh, too aggressive and mean to someone at the supermarket or something. Right. Um, but all that stuff can lead to all these stories and rumors that get passed around from town to town to village to village. And people start to uh, want to rebel against these people. Okay. And now, now look at, look at what's happening today. You mean like with the police? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's, and I mean, I, I would probably compare it a little bit more with like the, the middle East, just because it's any, any, like they're the colonies didn't have a lot of British like people there uh, rule or at least their soldiers weren't there and not yeah. as much as they did uh, leading up to the war. So when you have more of a military presence from people that are not even from your land, when they're from across the world, so their culture is a little bit different, the way they act, the way they talk is different. They, they might not even have the same religion as you, which is a huge uh, contributing factor. Yeah. So if just like we are today over at the Middle East or in Afghanistan, we're walking around, we're the security force, but those people there, you know, we do one bad thing there or one accidental or, or act on bad information or uh, false intelligence and we end up killing, you know, four or five civilians. Well, you just created 10 more insurgents. 
because right. these people don't want to be messed with. And I think, I think in general, most people just want to be left alone. They want to live their life, uh, raise a family, do, you know, work and provide for their family. Like this is all things that most people I would say in human society want to do. And when you have any sort of effect on that and you ruin someone's life, they, it, I mean, it turns people violent and they're going to be very angry. And I think that's what kind of led up to the revolution in the American revolution. And I think that's the kind of problems we're seeing today with our troops in, in foreign land. Right. But I, I mean, mean I, look at, look at, look at on American soil too. True. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got the state coming in, enforcing their will on people. Somebody's getting hurt. Then you've got, you know, this, this social media, you know, which is now, instant you know it it doesn't take a month or two months to get news all over the place it's instant you've got your your mainstream media you know jumping on this bandwagon it was like the the blake case you know where he he Mm -hmm. was shot the the media made it sound like you know this guy was an angel but i mean he did he didn't deserve that i'm in my opinion i mean i think there should have been other other ways to to handle that but this guy was a rapist. He was a rapist. He was a thug. He was. He was you know, kidnapping his children. Yeah, and I mean, and, you know, they they should. You can, yeah, you can disagree with like. Let's just say I disagree with how the police handled it. Yeah, I'm, but I'm not too worried about an incident like that. I mean, if if the cops accidentally, you know, use a little bit too much force, but the victim of that is a child pedophile. Not yeah. going to waste my breath defending that one. <laughs> well, but but the media did. They turned him into yeah. a saint. You know, you've mm-hmm. got all the, you know, the, the NFL players, which I think ought to be illegal, True. putting their his name on their helmet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, I, in my opinion, if the players are going to do mm-hmm. this, I think they ought to ban. I mean, people ought to say, you know what, we're not watching these games anymore. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I think you're actually seeing results of that. The NFL ratings are, are down, at least from their the first week. There's a report that came out that they have lost like 18 to 20% of their viewership from last year. So I think you're already seeing results of that. Now, you know, the government coming in and take, doing what they did to this guy and mm-hmm. the media exploding it everywhere. Now we got a problem, huge problem. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, in my opinion, as the American Revolution. This could be the beginning of a new American Revolution on American soil. You know, yeah, whether it be from, you know, the, the libertarians or, you know, the, the yeah. you know, extreme, you know, left. Sure. You know. And I, I think, well, the problem is that since the state overstepped itself a long time ago, like when they ramped up this drug war, the most people that use drugs uh, would fall into the minority communities. So it created this stigma between cops and minorities that they were racist and coming after them because their culture had a lot more drug use in it than uh, regular white people, I would say. Now, that's not true for all of them, obviously. Not all of them are doing drugs, but just statistically speaking, minorities were more involved in it uh, than white people were. And that's probably changing now. I don't really know this the statistics today i, I, I there's, think there's a huge uh, meth problem with the white community oh yeah like, that's that's actually I mean, an inside joke is like <laughs> white people make fun of are like well you know ostracized minorities for using like weed and cocaine but will turn a blind eye to their cousins making meth in their trailer <laughs> right with no teeth in their head right yeah <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, there became this huge problem between police and minority communities. 
And it's because they were there enforcing their will on these people. And I think it created a, a terrible situation and a terrible uh, stereotype for police and the minority community. Mm-hmm. When minority community sees police officers, they feel threatened and they rightfully might should feel that way. But when police officers, you know, they are in those minority communities and they feel threatened, it's probably a justified or there's something that leads to that. And I'm sure racism plays a part in it, but I think the overarching problem is the state trying to protect and control everyone's life. So I think when, I mean, it's not too long ago, I would say that, you know, people of people, let's say, you know, black people my age, when they hear their parents' stories of the police, you know, coming in their neighborhoods and, you know, raiding their houses for drugs or, or whatever, or, you know, their grandparents were literally, you know, in the civil rights movement. So it's yep. not that long ago for these people. And now they see something in the news that they're, you know, someone that was killed by police and it's because of racism. They want to go fight that good fight like their grandparents did. And, you know, I, I kind of I kind of uh, attribute my reasonings for joining the military because my family was veterans. But like like and I so I think a lot of people want to, you know, either fight the good fight that they think that their grandparents or parents did. Yeah. So they follow in their footsteps. So when they found out their grandparents went down to protest with Martin Luther King, and now there's this anti-cop and anti-racism protest going downtown, they want to go be part of it, be part of that great movement that what changed American society, you know? Right. And yeah, to, to relive their glory days, their grandparents' glory days. Right. Yeah. But I mean, isn't there, isn't there also an issue with the BLM that is being funded by a foreign agent? Um, I don't, I haven't heard much about foreign agent, but I've actually heard, uh, George Soros might, I don't really know who that is, but I keep seeing his name pop up. Apparently there was someone that was on Fox news that brought this up and he mentioned that George Soros might be funding these BLM protesters. Oh, so that's not confirmed. I don't know how confirmed it is just because in today's world, there's so many misinformation and information out there that, yeah. I, I I don't know. It might be out there. It might be true. I haven't looked into it myself is what I'm saying. But apparently they brought it up on the someone brought it up on Fox News and the reporter or the anchor immediately was like, let's not bring George Soros into this. We don't need to do that. And the guy's like, but he's funding these people. And they're like, we can't prove that. Let's move on to a different topic and started talking about something else. And oh, wow. It was very uh, concerning. I, I, I think it's more concerning to watch that. But I, but I have no idea how true it is. I've, but I've heard this before. I've heard this since the beginning. I've seen memes about it. George Soros is uh, somehow getting money to these, uh, the violent portions of the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's crazy though. I mean, you know, just this George Soros and I mean, but they're, they're funded. Is it, is it BLM or is it Antifa that he funds? Well, so I might be Antifa. I'm not uh, yeah. really too sure, but there's, it's very weird because the, basically the corporate press like doesn't even admit that Antifa is real. They, uh, I, I mean, they identify themselves as Antifa. They'll call themselves Antifa and they go and destroy property and commit violence and uh in and the name of antifa but if you watch so i think i told you a little bit more i don't know if you guys if anyone here has heard about the the proud boys but it was just kind of this retaliation against antifa it's like the we're not gonna let them um destroy our country basically and 
they had a clash, I think, in Portland. I could be wrong about that. But when the corporate press reported on this, they said they identified the Proud Boys. And then they said in some anti-fascist protesters. And it's just very clear they won't they won't say them by name and they won't they're they'll paint them in a good way. Like uh, if they're anti-fascist, how could anyone be against that? Right. You can't be against that. You can't. Fascism fascism is bad. So it's like if I called myself the group of the good people and the good people are destroying the city and but you can't say that. Our name is literally the good people. So you're, you're wrong. You can't say that. We're the good people. Right. And that's, that's kind of like how the media, when, the, when it's a far right extremist group, like let's see, you know, some white nationalists or the KKK, if they were the ones that were going out there and committing this violence, the corporate press will have no problem calling that out. But when it's someone that falls, I would say maybe not even their uh, political beliefs, but someone they find is a useful idiot then they will not bash these people and keep their name keep their name out of their mouths as as long as they can until till they are no longer useful. <laughs> this is going to be crazy. Well, but, I probably can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right? <laughs> but I tell you what, um, really kind of start need to wrap things up. We've actually been talking for over two hours. And, Damn. Uh, yeah, so this is going to be my largest episode ever. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I want to kind of start wrapping this up. I really hate stopping on that subject, too. But, you know, time restraints and everything. Plus, my leg is actually getting a little buggered up. I'll be more than happy to come back on. <laughs> cool. Yeah, maybe we get uh, you and Luke, too. So that'd be awesome. Sure. But yeah. uh, I tell you what, if you want to go ahead and, and, and tell a little bit about yourself again, your websites and stuff like that and what you guys do, you know, just real quick, wrap it up and then uh, we'll go ahead and shut down and I'll put all your information up on the uh, thing. Show notes. The Show notes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting tired uh, too. Yeah. Again, uh, I mean, I go by typo on the podcast. I uh, Biting the Bullet is my podcast. I, uh, me and Luke. Uh, or the co-host for that podcast. And um, I would say that we're probably big into the liberty movement. Um, we're pretty much identified libertarians and we really believe in this philosophy and we try to push it any way we can. And our probably our biggest target audience uh, is veterans. We think uh, veterans, uh, we were, me and Luke were both Marine Corps veterans and we, after we got out, we kind of started learning more and more about government the state philosophy, sociology, and we kind of sided with the idea that we need less government in our lives instead of more. And uh, we also just, you know, we try to do current events. Uh, we, we enjoy talking about the political theater and different uh, atrocities the state does. And we try to just bring humor to it as much as we can. So it's more about having fun. We just try to give, we try to joke, be goofy as much as we can, because these, all of these topics are hard to deal with. And we think just being comical about it is easier and easier to swallow sometimes follow our podcast uh it's pretty much on every podcatcher if you just search biting the bullet you pretty much find it on every podcatcher you can find us on facebook we have a facebook page you can find us on instagram at uh biting biting the bullet and we have twitter um at biting bullet pod on twitter and we uh put out updates for our show and share some meme funny memes sometimes and you can find me at, at the real typo on Twitter if you want to follow my personal account. And uh, I think that's uh, about all my plugs. 
That's awesome, man. Hey, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day and hanging out with me, talking about just about everything. So yeah, <laughs> start started with Mary Rothbard. Yeah, and went yeah. down every hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a uh, holy smokes, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do the uh, I'm gonna have to listen to Murray a little bit more closely, and I'm gonna try to download the PDF on uh, Anatomy of the State and try to get that all. <laughs> all going so but uh anyway this is uh this is craig and you have been listening to the unbeaten path